You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. So 1 Corinthians 11, and uh, we'll, we'll begin reading. The Lord, uh, Paul deals with the Lord's Supper right here in, in these verses, beginning in verse 17, and to a local church, by the way, as this instruction is given. And so we'll read this, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 17, down through the end of the chapter. It says, Now in this that I declare unto you, I praise you not. Uh, that's, that's a big uh-oh from the very beginning. In this I declare unto you, he says, I praise you not. In other words, they haven't done very well in this area. He says that you come together not for the better, but for the worse. For first of all, when you come together in the church, I hear that there be divisions among you. And I partly believe it. For there must be also heresies among you that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. When you come together, and again, notice the language. This is a local church Language When ye come together, it's instruction for a local church. When ye come together, therefore, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, every one taketh before other his own supper, and one is hungry, and another is drunken. What? That's how I imagine him saying, what? <laughs> Have ye not houses to eat and to drink in? That's not the purpose for the Lord's Supper, he says. Or despise ye the church of God and shame them with that have not? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus the same night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he brake it, and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me." After the same manner, he also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord, and that does not sound good. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. Wherefore, my brethren, when ye come together, when ye come together, there it is again, to eat, tarry one for another, and if any man hunger, let him eat at home, that ye come not together unto condemnation, and the rest will I set in order when I come. Just want to look tonight at some principles about the Lord's Supper, and we'll be here in, in a couple of other places, but just as a help tonight to help us understand as we come into this important event um, on, on Sunday night. Just want to give you some understanding, more like a teaching time this evening, but, but something I hope will be a help 
as we approach it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this, the, the word. We thank you for the way that you lead us and the way that, as Brother Samuel said, we thank you for the wonderful word uh, and words of life and that it has done so much for us, God. We are so thankful that you chose to reveal yourself to us through your word. Thank you for letting us have copies of it in our hand. God, we can trust it. And I'm thankful that it gives us instruction in nights on nights like this, God, that we, we can go to it and find rest and comfort in your word. We thank you and bless the, the reading and our time together in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So again, tonight we're going to take a look at this and what we call the Lord's Supper and it's referred to in scripture in a few different ways. It's referred to um, as communion um, in chapter 10, verse 16. It's referred to in verse 21 of chapter 10. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. You cannot be partakers of the Lord's table. There's another phrase that some will call it. Um, it calls, uh, Paul calls it the Lord's Supper right here in verse 20 of the chapter that we just read. And, and they all mean the same thing. And then uh, you know, I'll, I'll more than likely refer to it primarily as the Lord's Supper. And the Lord's Supper is one of the two church ordinances. You've got baptism and the Lord's Supper. And, and an ordinance is there. And, and like I said, when we went through Baptist Distinctives, uh, why Baptist last year, we, we talked about these things. But an ordinance serves to keep us in memory or causes us to look to something significant. It, it causes us, us to look at something that's very important. And one man, E.H. Johnson, said this, an ordinance is an outward institution appointed by Christ by positive precept to be observed by all his people to the end of the age, commemorating an essential gospel fact and declaring an essential gospel truth. Of these, are, there are two, baptism and the communion, the initiation and consummation of the Christian life. These ordinances are the gospel and symbol. They commemorate, they declare, they typically embody the whole Christian system. They are the true symbols of Christianity, divinely appointed and all-sufficient. And, and Christians have a responsibility to keep the gospel in memory. That's essentially what he's saying. And these ordinances help us to do that. But it's not just that. In a practical sense, the ordinances also picture what takes place in a believer's life. Baptism causes us to look at the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ and the, and the transforming effect that the gospel has in that new believer's life. A, a person is saved and, and then baptized. And in the same way that they're saved before you, they're baptized, a person should be saved and baptized before they partake in the Lord's Supper. Uh, if baptism signifies the beginning of the Christian's life, the Lord's Supper signifies our continuing fellowship with the Lord in the Christian life. Baptism could, could be said to signify our relationship with Christ and a local church. The Lord's Supper could be said to signify our continued fellowship with Christ and the local church. So following that line of, of, of thinking then, scriptural baptism is observed one time by each Christian. Like I said, scriptural baptism... There are a lot of definitions of baptism out there, but scriptural baptism is observed one time, but the Lord's Supper is to be observed throughout our lives as a sign of our continuing fellowship and relationship with Christ and his church. 
So to determine what the Lord's Supper is, I just want to answer three simple questions tonight. What are the proper elements to be used in the Lord's Supper? What is the meaning of the Lord's Supper? And who should participate in the Lord's Supper? So simple thoughts and a simple method here tonight that I hope will be a help. But the elements of the Supper is where we're going to start. The elements of the Supper. Let's turn over to Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26 verses 26 through 30. And if you'll notice, as Paul was writing here in 1 Corinthians, he used the Last Supper as a template or as as a model for the Lord's Supper in the New Testament church. He referred to that night when Jesus Christ was breaking bread with his apostles. Look at verse uh, Matthew chapter 26, verse 26. And it says, and as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and break it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them saying, drink ye all of it. For this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. And when they had sung in him, they went out into the Mount of Olives. This is the Last Supper right before Jesus Christ's death. But it also, again, serves as a template for the Lord's Supper in a New Testament church. And there are two elements mentioned right here. There's the bread that Jesus broke and distributed. And then what is simply called the cup. ...or the fruit of the vine. The bread symbolizes the Christ's body as he died on the cross. The cup or the grape juice, the fruit of the vine... ...represents the blood that he shed to pay for our sins. He, he gives the explanation, so it, it really helps us here. What's the fruit of the vine then? Well, it's unfermented grape juice. Unfermented grape juice. Uh, notice in verse 29, Jesus refers to it again as the fruit of the vine. And the word is fruit... Not wine. And obviously, this is speaking of fresh, pure grape juice. There's no indication in any of the gospel accounts that this was intoxicating wine. Um, Furthermore, uh, we know that Christ was sinless. And to engage in drinking fermented wine or strong drink would be to discard many other biblical teachings, which he would not do. So the cup contained grape juice, but it was not strong drink. And this is why a scriptural observance of the Lord's Supper does not use intoxicating beverages to symbolize the blood of Jesus Christ. It would have been a non-alcoholic grape juice because that reflects what Jesus used right here, the fruit of the vine. The other element of this is uh, uh, this part is, of the supper is the bread, and that it, we can look at other places to look at this. But he breaks the bread right here. Unleavened bread is what pictures Jesus Christ's broken body, and you could read the New Testament, like what Paul wrote in First Corinthians, and see that it doesn't use the term unleavened to refer to the bread of the Lord's Supper. But we can be certain that it was unleavened bread Jesus Christ was using. Right here at the Last Supper. Look over at Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. Notice the time of year. Notice what what was happening uh, on their calendar. Luke chapter 22 verse 7. 
And again, this is the Last Supper right before Jesus Christ is betrayed or as he's being betrayed, really, um, to, to, by Judas and right before his death. Look at verse 7, Luke 22. Then came the day of unleavened bread when the Passover must be killed. And he sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare us the Passover that we may eat. And they said unto him, where wilt thou that we prepare? And he said unto them, Behold, when ye are entered into the city, there shall be a man, you, uh, a man, or I'm sorry, there shall a man meet you, bearing a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house where he entereth in. And ye shall say unto the goodman of the house, The master saith unto thee, Where is the guest chamber where I shall eat the Passover with my disciples? And he shall show you a large upper room furnished. There make ready. And they went and found as he had said unto them, and they made ready the Passover. And when the hour was come, he sat down and the twelve apostles with him. So this is, this is during the Passover. He instituted this supper during the Passover. But when Jesus met with his disciples, it was actually the day of unleavened bread. It just said that in verse 7. Mark 14 tells us it was the first day of unleavened bread. So what's the day of unleavened bread? Well, Exodus 12 verse 15 gives us instructions for that day, or gave the Jews instructions for that day. It said, seven days shall ye eat unleavened bread. Even the first day ye shall put away leaven out of your houses. For whosoever eateth leavened bread from the first day until the seventh day, that soul shall be cut off from Israel. So God's law clearly forbids anyone eating leavened bread during this time, this time or this feast of unleavened bread. And it was a picture of the exodus when they had, uh, had no time to let their bread rise before they left. And they just had to take their bread and escape Egypt. Leaven in scripture also pictures sin. It pictures corruption. So it would not have been used during the Passover here. In fact, the Jews were told to remove it from their houses altogether. And, and we know that Jesus Christ obeyed, yea, he fulfilled every law. So he would not have been breaking this law and using leavened bread. Because God forbade anyone to eat leavened bread on this day, we can be certain that the bread Jesus used to institute this ordinance was unleavened. And the fact that 1 Corinthians 5 and Galatians 5 talks about leaven and comparing it to sin, a little leaven, leaveneth the whole lump. I think it should give us confidence that we should use unleavened bread in our communion. It's pretty clear. I wish it tasted better, but it doesn't, okay? We don't come to eat. It's unleavened. It's a small cracker, um, but we don't come together to get full, as we've already read from the Apostle Paul. And as a side note, this provides some insight into the timing of the Lord's Supper. And, and, and I'll just say this. There's no hard, fast rule stating how often the Lord's Supper should be observed. Uh, the fact that Christ did it the week that he died, it presents a pretty compelling pattern for us. And, um, and I believe the most biblical pattern to follow is, is during the week leading up to Resurrection Sunday. I believe the most biblical pattern is, is uh, that week before Easter. That's, that's when this first church observed it. By the way, this was the first church right here. And they're meeting together. That's when they observed it. But I, in balance, every church decides. And I know there will be differing opinions. There will be some that believe you should do it more. There will be some that say you should, 
You should do it every, a certain cycle, maybe once a month or every quarter. And there are different options about when it's done. But the only real biblical pattern that we have is right here. And it was Jesus Christ doing it the week that he died on the cross. Paul, well, you say, well, Paul made it sound like they do it a lot. Well, he said, when you come together. So it doesn't give an indication necessarily uh, about how often it happens. There may be good reasons to do it more. And I believe there could be good reasons, but most of that would just be preference. And, and we can't judge someone else for doing it more or less. And I see good reasons to do it more, but, but I also want to protect what Paul talked about there in 1 Corinthians. And that he said it became just commonplace for them. They did it so much that, that it, was not nothing, it was nothing special anymore. So where's that balance? I don't know. I wish that I could give you a clear answer, but, but let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind, and we're going to try to maintain that balance where it means something to us, but it's done regularly enough um, that, it, that it makes a difference in our lives. And, and so I, I we'll figure that out as we go along, or we'll never figure it out. But I do know that the pattern is the week that Jesus Christ died. That's where we're going to start this week. So the two elements of the Lord's Supper are unleavened bread and the fruit of the vine. What's the meaning of the supper? Well, I I know what the Lord's Supper is not. It's not the Baptist equivalent of Mass. And it's not the Eucharist and it's not Holy Communion. And and it's not not sacrament. Those are generally uh, Catholic terms used to describe uh, the ritual that they say... Aids in salvation, but we don't believe that's the function of the Lord's Supper. It's also not transubstantiation, and for you teenagers that want to try to spell that, write it out. If you spell it right, I may give you a piece of chocolate after. Transubstantiation. It's the belief that upon the pronoun, they're finally paying attention, upon the pronouncement uh, um, of the priest. So again, in, in a Catholic church service, usually upon the pronouncement of the priest, that the bread and wine, they say, literally and actually changes in substance to become the literal flesh and blood of Jesus Christ as you take it. That's transubstantiation. That teaching is also not scriptural. And Jesus was speaking metaphorically, not literally. We know that Christ is bodily in heaven. So literally his body then doesn't appear when someone eats the Lord's Supper. Eating literal blood in Leviticus is forbidden. Christ's sacrifice was once for all. It is not to be repeated. These are all reasons why we don't believe in transubstantiation. Also, Christ the Creator cannot be created... So he, doesn't, he can't just appear in, in an element as you eat it. It's also not consubstantiation, which would be more of, the, of a Lutheran perspective. And, and it modifies the thought of, of transubstantiation and states that even though the elements are not changed, the real body and blood of Christ are somehow mystically present so that both are in fact eaten. And we don't believe that as well. It's also not the Christian Passover. Now, I know that Jesus Christ instituted it. 
during the Passover, uh, but we've got to be careful of just assuming that the Christian, that we have the Passover just like the Jews. That would be more of a covenant theology view, and covenant theology equates Israel and the church through through things like circumcision and baptism and the Passover and, and those things. And, and we believe, I believe that there's a difference between Israel and the church. And so, and so we just have to understand that these things are, are, are not all scriptural viewpoints, although there are many that hold these kind of viewpoints. And listen, I, I know many good men who follow the pattern of doing the Lord's Supper, for instance, once a year before Easter, and I like it, um, but they're not doing that to say the Lord's Supper is Passover for the church. Um, they're following the pattern of the first Lord's Supper here and just trying to do their best for that. We know that the Christian Passover, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians, the Christian Passover is Jesus Christ himself. Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. So the Passover is done away with. And anything that we do that looks like the Passover during the Lord's Supper is really simply following a pattern that was set for us. So we don't celebrate the Passover. Christ did away with the need for it, and I'm thankful for that. It's also not a sacrament. And some would say that communion is a means of receiving grace. There are plenty that say that. It's also not a potluck. We had a fellowship the other night after church, and I just want to say again... Our family thanks you for loving us. And we're blessed beyond imagination at Eastside Baptist Church. And so for you to have a fellowship and celebration of our anniversary, we don't expect that. And, and yet we're so thankful for it. And many of you are so kind with your cards and words. That was a fellowship. The Lord's Supper is not a fellowship. And we don't come together to eat and hang out. And we can do that in plenty of other times. And, and yet this Sunday night will not feel like a fellowship. And the early churches practiced these love feasts, which were church-wide meals. And, but they weren't, they, these weren't observances of the Lord's Supper. There was a, a difference. And we're not going to get into all that. Paul rebuked the church at Corinth for turning the Lord's Supper into a regular meal. It, it took on a different meaning than it was intended. And so communion is a sign What it is, it is a sign of our relationship with God through Christ. It's not a means to achieve that relationship. We don't do this so we're trying to become saved. We do this as a sign that we are saved. It's a symbol of who we are in Christ. It's not a way to be in Christ. We observe the the supper in commemoration. We're looking back. We're looking at the cross. It's a memorial of what Christ did for us. As Jesus told his disciples here in in Luke 22, this do in remembrance of me. And so, you know, back to 1 Corinthians 11. We'll just read verses, uh, a few verses as we go. Back to 1 Corinthians 11. You know, Paul confirms that the supper is to be a memorial. It's a memorial. Look at verse 23, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-three. 23. For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. In verse 25, after the same manner, also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. 
So the Lord's Supper is a memorial. It's a remembrance of the death of Jesus Christ. It, it is a look at his body. It is a look at his blood. It is remembering and just considering the death of Jesus Christ. And that's what we're doing on Sunday night. We're simply considering his death. The, the, look at verse 26. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. So the broken bread, it's a, it's a picture recognizing his body that's broken. The fruit of the vine symbolizes the blood that he shed on the cross. And it is also, though, an anticipation reminding us that Christ is coming again. So we're looking at the cross until he comes again. And, and, and we are, so in some ways we're looking both behind us, but we're also looking forward. And we anticipate that when he comes, then we, we won't be doing the Lord's Supper like this anymore. The purpose of the Lord's Supper is to show the Lord's death. That's why we do it. And, and each time we observe the Lord's Supper, our, our minds have, must be centered on his death. We show his death till he comes. We, we must approach the Lord's Supper with a solemn spirit, remembering and rejoicing in what Christ has done for us by standing in our place and bearing our sins and taking our judgment and God's wrath upon himself so that we could be forgiven and accepted by God. And that is a sober thought. It's a sober occasion. And one more thing to consider, if our participation in the Lord's Supper is a symbol of Christ's death, then our condition when we partake should also reflect his death. And I mean, in other words, we should be receive the Lord's Supper dying to self and cleansed of our sins. If the elements picture Christ's sinlessness and we come in with unconfessed sin, then we come to the Lord's table unworthily. So that leads to the last section... Tonight, which is the participants of the Lord's Supper. Well, first, participants should be those saved and scripturally baptized and in right standing with their local church. Uh, we already read this tonight uh, in verses 17 through 22, how some were coming in and taking it unworthily. And, and Paul lets them know they're taking it unworthily, uh, reprimanding them for two things. Number one, they weren't unified in their gatherings. There, there, were, there was disunity when they came together. And the Lord's Supper requires a spirit of unity in a local church. It requires us to have a unified spirit. It goes against the spirit of the occasion for God's people to come together selfishly and to come together carnally. Christ died so we wouldn't be carnal. So why would we come to, sell or to, to view his death and honor his death and remember it? Why would we come to that carnally? Paul also reprimanded them for using the occasion of the Lord's Supper to engage in a fellowship. And they were just getting together to eat instead of focusing on his death. And, and so then he recaps the, Lord's, the Last Supper and the pattern it lays forth, which we've already read again. But, but look at verse 27. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. So he, he says to take the Lord's Supper with open and unconfessed or unrepentant sin is to completely miss its point. It's saying let's honor Christ's sacrifice for our sins but be full of sin and not be worried about getting it right. 
And we should come in verse 28, but let a man examine himself. And so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. We should examine ourselves. If we don't examine ourselves, we risk judgment. According to what Paul wrote, we, we risk weakness, we risk sickness. And there were those, even according to what he says, there were those that had died because of their attitude toward the Lord's Supper. This is serious stuff. And when we take communion, we're saying Christ's sacrifice has made forgiveness of sins possible. So we should come to the table with sins confessed. And that's why Paul told the Corinthians in chapter 5 to purge out the old leaven of those who were living in sin. He said, don't eat with them. They've, they've, uh, they've disqualified themselves. Meaning, if there were those with open and unconfessed sin and unrepentant spirits about that sin, then they should not engage in the Lord's Supper with them. See, there's accountability in communion. There's accountability in the Lord's Supper. And it's serious to take it unworthily. And these truths are the reason then that we would practice the Lord's table, Lord's Supper, as a local church ordinance. And not everybody holds that position. And there are men that I love and I respect that don't have the same practice. They haven't drawn lines in the same places that, that I have. I just know I have to answer to the Lord. And I have to be able to answer for the, for the way that I do it. And, I, and the instruction that Paul gives in 1 Corinthians was given to a local church. It's, this is a body of believers. And Paul was assuming that the Lord's Supper was being observed by a local church family. When ye come together. He's, he's writing to a local church. And he's, the context of the Lord's Supper is local church. And by the way, one other thing to consider that seems clear is this is a local church ordinance. When ye come together, meaning that means the Lord's Supper is to be observed in a church setting. He, he doesn't say, now listen, if you and your family want to take the ordinance, you just you do that. No, it's meant to be done in a church setting. And I'm not drawing lines that I, I can't protect. Listen, I understand there may be places where, where there is a, 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 a family, maybe all that's in a local church. There may be times that, that a, a family in, in some country, they don't have a church building and it's just their family. Listen, I'm not saying it's wrong to do it that way because that's, that would be out of necessity. But I am saying that in God's mind, through the Apostle Paul and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he's writing this to a local church to take this together when they come together as a church body. This church family coming together, that's the setting. That's God's design for the setting. And the point is there, there also, though, should be a level of accountability. In 1 Corinthians 5, the church was responsible for removing those members from fellowship if they were, had open unrepentant sin. And, and that leads to the biggest reason we, we would be what most people would, might would call closed communion. And, and remember, the two ordinances are, are baptism and the Lord's Supper. And so baptism is the ordinance of relationship with Christ and his church. If you've been saved, baptism pictures that relationship. It identifies you both with Christ and a local church. 
Communion is about fellowship. Again, it's an ordinance, meaning it implies that our fellowship with Christ and our church are in good standing. And if not, then we should make that right before we partake. That's the message that Paul has been preaching. So if the qualification for partaking of the Lord's Supper is good standing of fellowship with a church body, then that's why it seems safest to me to limit it to those who are part of that said church body. The context is a local church. Uh, The accountability is through the local church. Paul's instruction is to a church. And that would be the reason that we hold to what many would call closed communion in which our members participate. And others would be close communion in that they would allow other members of churches that are of like faith and practice, other independent Baptist churches uh, to partake. That's a decision up to each church and pastor. And I, who am I to tell somebody else what the Lord would have, where the Lord would have him draw his line? I don't. I, I just, in my conscience, have to do what feels like the safest thing. And the safest thing is to limit it to a local church. Others are called open communion, which means they open it up to anyone who's saved and desires to take it. And that's a much more difficult position to be accountable to, in my opinion, if you don't know where someone's coming from or they're standing. But if someone's standing in a local church is a reason to include or not include them in the Lord's Supper, then that that seems to tighten it up in the terms of who would participate. An ordinance implies a unity of doctrine as well. In the same way that baptism identifies with doctrine, so does the Lord's Supper. And listen, if you don't have that first filter of baptism where someone says, I identify with your body of doctrine, and then to allow somebody to come in that may not identify with your body of doctrine, it seems inconsistent. So there's another reason that we would limit it. And and listen, if Paul gives, if he gave warnings about those being in open sin coming to the Lord's table than having no check at all, no filter at all in terms of salvation or baptism or doctrinal position or standing of fellowship, it seems hard to defend to me. So whatever a church's position, again, I hope, you, I hope I'm being balanced tonight, that you can see that. Whatever a church's position is on the Lord's Supper, understand this. This is the one thing we all need to understand. To partake in the Lord's Supper, every member must be right with God, their church, and each other. You must be right. You're, remember, the, the, the baptism is about our relationship, and this is about our fellowship, the Lord's Supper. So if, it's, if the ordinance itself is about fellowship, then your fellowship with God better be right before you take it. And your fellowship with your church family better be right before you take it. And your fellowship with other people It doesn't matter who it is. It better be right before you take it because it is an ordinance of fellowship. So if it's a matter of being in good standing of fellowship, are you supper ready? Are you supper ready? It's like when I was a kid, you know, kids would come in from, uh, we'd come in from outside for, for, for a meal. Mom would say it's time for supper. We'd come in on a hot summer day and, and, and I remember specifically in, in Texas, I was there till I was 10 and, and it was especially sticky and hot in Texas and dusty and we'd play and come in and the first question my mom would ask, what? 
have you washed your hands? And in the same way, then we must, before we come in and have a, an, and be, partake in an ordinance that reflects our, our standing of fellowship, then we better be washed. We better be supper ready. Paul war- Paul's warnings in 1 Corinthians are meant to remind us of how sober we ought to be in approaching it. They're not, it's not meant to keep members out. It's meant to have a purifying effect. And some people might say, well, you know, you're just trying to keep people out and you're trying to keep people away. That's not it at all. I mean, we, every person should, should be involved, but, but it should have a purifying effect on us. You know, we don't say this, well, you know, uh, if you're not right, you, you, you're not invited. If you're not right, you don't get to partake in this. No, we want people to get right so they can partake. So they can be part of the fellowship. So they can enjoy the unity. And if communion is coming up, are you ready? Is there anything that in your life with a number, another member that's divisive that you've not settled Is there anything in your heart between you and God that is not right, that you've got to get right? Have you made things right with God and others? Are you supper ready? It's coming up Sunday night. Are you in proper fellowship with the Lord? Is there unconfessed sin in your life? Is there something not right? How personally pure are you? Are the things that you're watching and listening to and engaging in and talking about, would they please the Lord? Would they be considered pure? Either get things right or I would, I would encourage you to consider not taking the Lord's Supper unworthily. And I, listen, I'm a pastor, not a policeman. Just so you know my take on this, I'm not a policeman. The Bible does say, let every man examine himself. That you have a responsibility and I have a responsibility as the person God has placed in your life to be in this position to tell you, you better make sure that things are right between God and others before you partake the Lord's Supper unworthily. Are things right between you and your church? Is there something that between you and another member? Is there something that you're allowing to linger and fester? Is there a root of bitterness and unforgiveness? If you don't make it right, Consider not partaking. Consider not being involved in it because you don't want to take it unworthily. And you say, well, pastor, is that what you want? No. My, my desire is that we make these things right before Sunday. That's my desire. But if you read what Paul said, you'd be motivated to clean up before supper. The consequences of eating improperly are severe and I'll let God be the judge of that. But Paul wrote these things for our warning and our benefit. Supper ready means you take it seriously too. And it won't be a time of fun and fellowship. The church of Corinth um, wasn't taking it seriously and it cost them. When you come into the building, then wait till 545. I'm going to ask then that that when you come in, just come in as a family. And we'll have ushers and you'll be seated. Just sit where they... Sit where they tell you, please. I know you're Baptists. And you've got your own seats and the indentations are just right for you. And, but sit where, just sit where, where you're sat. And don't worry about all the other stuff. Just come in and sit and, and be ready to consider the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, we're going to dismiss the choir and families to just go to their vehicles and and then just wait at 5.45, you'll come in and 
fill up the middle to the front and it'll be solemn and sober. And when we're finished, then we're, we're, we'll dismiss you the same way. And then, and then you'll simply just leave the building and go to your car and, and leave the property and then do whatever you're going to do after that. But, but while you're here, we're trying to focus simply on the death of Jesus Christ. And you say, well, that's really different. It is, I know, and it may not be exactly the right way to do it, but what would have been the feeling if we had been sitting at the foot of the cross watching Jesus die for our sins? We wouldn't have been eating popcorn. And we wouldn't have been laughing at jokes. We would have been so clued in. We would have been watching his face. And we would, have, we would have seen the pain and the anguish that, that, that we put on his face. We would have had to consider that he's, he's there because of my sin. And he's bleeding because of my failures. And we would sit there and we would, we would probably cry. And we wouldn't be able to speak. And we would have to consider that Jesus died for us and he didn't deserve it. So if we're sitting there watching Jesus die, then it would have been a sober occasion and that's why we're doing it the way we're going to do it. Supper ready means you're personally pure, you're right with every member of this church, and that you're sober-minded about the service. Supper ready means you're personally pure, you're right with every member of this church and that you're sober-minded about the service. And I'm going to encourage you tonight to come Sunday night, supper ready. And don't wait till 5.45 to get supper ready. Start tonight. What's in your heart that shouldn't be? What's, what's a relationship issue that shouldn't be there and you've let it fester? What, what are you watching or doing or listening to? What, what kind of friends, young people, have you been hanging out with that God would not be pleased with? Listen, whatever it is, it's time to get those things right before you come. Be supper ready. This occasion deserves that kind of preparation. Sins confessed, right with others, serious-minded, and it will be a special service if we come service ready. Are you supper ready? Are you supper ready? Is everything right between you and God and you and others? Well, if not, let's start tonight and get supper ready. Let's stand together. We'll have a verse of invitation, and I want to encourage you to, to seek the Lord even tonight. Confession of sin, making things right, whatever it is. And let's just make sure that we're ready for an occasion like this. And I know it's a sober message, and yet it's a sober event. And I don't want to take, I per, I don't want to take it unworthily. I don't want to be in a position where, where, where I've done something I, I, in a way I shouldn't have done. And I think that's all of our spirits. So let's consider that as we prepare for Sunday night. And let's get some things right tonight if the Lord is leading you to are you supper ready father thank you for the the truth and for your wisdom here and thank you for folks maybe even from all ends of the spectrum um, or other philosophies or views um, giving grace and room here for to do things in this way and and lord i think though if we all would simply submit to the process it would be it's going to be special 
And I pray that you'd help us all to, to not consider some of those details as much as we consider who we are before you right now. And if there's something in our lives that must be confessed and made right, God, help us not to wait. Help us to get supper ready even today and be considering those things as Sunday night approaches. Lord, we love you and we need you in Jesus' name. Amen. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.